Hello, and welcome to the Unconventional Path, entrepreneurship and innovation stories and ideas. I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Hey, Mike. Today's guest on the podcast is Gary Fry. Gary has served as president of four successful companies, including bizjournals.com, which is a business news portal, which he helped transform from a three-person organization to a $100 million a year business. He also has done some turnarounds and has held some executive positions at Fortune 100 companies. Now, Gary leads the business growth and coaching uh, development efforts for a regional CPA firm uh, that he serves for privately held businesses and their owners. Bela, I, this sounds like a really interesting guest. I took a peek at Gary's bio um, and what a cool and diverse background. I mean, I'm totally fascinated by anybody who is a journalist, an entrepreneur, and then worked for a CPA firm. And I don't know too many people that kind of fit that specific combination of experience. Yeah. So I can't wait to hear what you two talked about. Let's get right to the interview. Sounds good, Mike. Hey, Gary, how are you? I'm good. Good morning to you. How are you? And it's Bela, right? Uh, it's Bela. Bela. All right, cool. Yeah, Bela. That's right. Thanks for asking. And your last name is Frey? Fry. It looks Fry. like Frey. It sounds like Fry. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Uh, so, hey, um, welcome to the podcast. Uh, it's nice, nice to have you as a guest today. Uh, so, Gary, tell me a little bit about yourself and sort of what you do. Uh, well, I, <laughs> I help run a CPA firm and I'm not a CPA. Uh, I've run four companies and done a couple turnarounds and I don't really fit anywhere. But um, I was brought in to bring my coaching practice in because they were they had uh, an outside coach as well. Yeah. And they were doing some coaching and I was sending friends of mine to them because they're out of the 80 of us 12 of us have started run or turned around companies using our own money so that's highly unusual in the cpa world and so we love helping businesses grow that's what we love doing more than anything if they changed the tax tax code tomorrow we would still be in business yeah and so um it i'm having way too much fun and it's funny because I saw that you and you, you, you do this with Mike a lot of times. Yes, right? that's correct. Yep. Yeah. So, so yeah. I, I always, Go I ahead. always, I typically do the recordings and then Mike and I get together and do a little post recording role about the conversation. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Um, almost three years ago, uh, we started the anything but typical podcast and uh, a young entrepreneur, he was 24 when he sold his first company. He's yeah. now whopping 32, I think. Um, he asked me about three and a half years ago, Hey, I would love to do a podcast with you. So we do a co-hosting thing as well. So we've only had 73 episodes. We just do it every other week, Yeah, but it's so much fun having the dynamics of two, you know? Yes. Yes. And you know, the wonderful thing about this podcasting is I get to chat with interesting people like you. Uh, otherwise our paths would never cross. I love it. I love it. Right? Me too. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's that's one of the great, great benefits. So I saw when I was reading about your background that you ran biz journals for a while. Yeah, I was the first president of bizjournals.com. Yeah, so uh, I wanted to talk about that a little bit uh, from an entrepreneurial perspective. Uh, cool. So it, it, I don't know if you know Carolyn Jones, but she was the editor at the Albany one 
and oh, then okay, she, sure. and then yes. she moved to Boston and then she she okay. moved to Boston. Yeah. And so the conversation I want to have about that was in Albany, which is sort of Albany, New York, which is sort of where where I'm, I'm from and yeah, spent the sure. last 25 plus years here. Uh, the Albany Business Journal owned the business press. Absolutely. Right? There's a big there's a big newspaper here, the Times Union, which is owned by it's a Hearst newspaper, right? right? <laughs> but but the Albany Business Review just owned the business press, and it yeah. came out once a week, and everybody yeah. loved it. And to me, it was always a great example of two things. Number one, understanding that the business world, or excuse me, the newspaper business is changing because of the internet, yeah. and right. number two this notion of focusing and being the very best at one thing is often yes. better than being mediocre at a bunch of stuff. Yes. So I just wanted to see if you had any comments about that, you know, sort of oh, your yeah. experience there and sort of that whole industry. Uh, there, we have some um, really fun and amazing stories. And I, I loved working under Ray Shaw, who was the chairman and CEO. Um, he was an old, well, he was an army guy from Oklahoma originally, but he was the vice chairman, I think, and COO of Dow Jones and Wall Street Journal before he retired early and then bought all these business journals and stitched them together. Yeah. Um, and and then he and Cy Newhouse up in New York, you know, Cy came in and helped kind of kind of finance a lot of it, I think. So. But Ray was a really, really smart man of very few words. But holy moly, when he, he was like, his emails were like haiku, but each word meant a lot. Yes. <laughs> and he would always say, local, 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 local. We're all, you know, and, it, you know, I was brought into buildbizjournals.com. And at the time, the publishers were really afraid of this thing. Yes, because anything.com had crazy valuations and anything that had tangible value had little valuation at that time. That's right. And so um, it was probably one of the more unique opportunities I've had in my wacky career. And I learned a lot. Um, and it's funny because I was just talking with a friend in Thailand I was actually on his podcast, Bobby the Bear. <laughs> and he has this bear. He is so funny. Um, he's from Los Angeles originally. But um, I said, you know, we've been told we should be monetizing this podcast. And I'm open to do that. I just don't want to sell my soul. And I was also told, you know, we need to open it up beyond Charlotte. because, I, But I we started with Charlotte because we love helping stitch uh, and knit together more of these businesses because when I left Charlotte in 2002 to the great white north of Cleveland Ohio it was because I didn't want to work in either one of the banks again and I wasn't yeah. an engineer so I wasn't going to go to Duke Energy and there there was not the robust uh, entrepreneurial ecosystem that we have here now and I'm frankly tired of being in the shadow of the research triangle park of raleigh durham and also austin texas i mean this is a beautiful city that's very well connected and i just wanted to do more with that and he goes gary the more like that's what you should be doing just stick with charlotte and then you can do a, a anything but typical 
edition in Charleston or wherever. Sure. And I said, sure. How did I miss this? You know, I mean, I was Rayshawn just pounded this into my head. <laughs> and so, but you know, if a, a friend of mine, he was a coaching client, he said, it's hard to read the label when you're inside the jar. That's right. That's why we need somebody outside the jar to help us read the label. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent point. That's a great saying. It's hard to read the label when you're inside the jar. <laughs> so Charlotte is wonderful. So I have a little experience down there. My parents, uh, before they passed away, lived in Concord, which is just oh, outside sure. of Charlotte. Yeah. And so wow. we used to go down there, we used to go down there all the time. They were down there about 35 years or so. My dad moved down there when IBM opened up their first facility oh, sure. down there. Yeah. Yeah. What a wonderful place. And I'll tell you a funny story. My, my wife and I were sort of talking about maybe moving south from upstate New York where the winters are yeah. long and hard. Yes, and, uh, and, you know, sort of North Carolina, Charlotte area was yeah. one of the places higher on our list. Great quality of life. Just yeah. really, you know, July and August are kind of hot, but the rest of the year is beautiful. That's right. And, That's right. And then we have we have two sons and one of our sons lives close to us here. And they had their first child. Oh, and, oh man. Yeah. Anchor and my wife said, Yeah, my, my <laughs> wife says to me, dear, you can live wherever you want, but I'm not moving. <laughs> so yeah, we'll endure the winters and the gray skies, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. So uh as you as you do your business uh coaching uh and, and yeah. working with companies. When you find a company that's sort of this is why I take it back to the newspaper, that, that's in yeah. an industry that's rapidly changing. And, and they yeah. have to do, they have to do a pivot yeah because it's clear that the current thing that they're, that that's paying the bills right. is, is going to go away at some point in time. Yeah. How, how do you, how do you help, you know, the leadership team sort of embrace that and, and, mm. and try to think it through? You know, that's interesting. Uh, they say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. But you can salt the oats sometimes. And even if you salt the oats, uh, it still won't drink. <laughs> so, you know, it really starts with the top. Mm. It starts at the CEO. And if the CEO doesn't see it, doesn't get it, you're pushing a wet string up a hill. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I have yet to see when that actually works. Now, however, when the CEO sees it and typically it, if it's good ceo they have a good management team around them and they empower their people then what they do what i've seen work really really well is when they push it down to the front line and they ask they ask 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 because even when the ceo walks among the troops and that's really really important to have a their finger on the pulse of what's going on. The front line knows it. They are the canary in the coal mine. They, they sense it. Now they may not have the answer, Yeah. but they, they can validate, Hey, this is what we need to do. It's funny <clears throat> when we went into lockdown, you know, the 13th of March was the last day in the office 2020. And that's busy season in the tax world. I mean, it's just like all hell's breaking loose. Well, then the world all hell's breaking loose. And we, it was the second day of lockdown the next week. And our founder, who's um, 
you know, oh, he's 49, I think now. Um, but he said, Gary, we need to do a, a, a webinar twice a week. And I said, are you kidding me? Like, we are just burning the candle at both ends. And you want us to do a webinar on like, dude, are you crazy? And he said, Gary, I'm asking, I'm answering the same question 15 times a day. Yeah, this would actually really help me. And I know it will help people because we were fielding calls all the time. I mean, huge dental practices. We've got one that's got 22 dental practices rolled up into it and we do everything for them, all their bookkeeping, everything. And, you know, that's a lot of freaking overhead that is now dead in the water. And he said, we got people that are just, you know, NASCAR, we've got a lot tied into NASCAR. They weren't running tracks, you know, so what do we do? Well, what was interesting about that, we had pivoted already into a technology and we, we had some remote flexibility because that was what our people were asking. Now we have a really strong culture, so you can't go hundred percent remote. And, and maintain that we haven't found that way to do that but so we we had that technology in place now all of a sudden we had to embrace zoom uh, pretty quickly and readily but we did and what was really amazing is within a month i had a call from an artificial intelligence entrepreneur i mean it's crazy he was doing 10 million um in his second year top line with like 60 plus percent margins. And he just uh, has taken an offer for a hundred million dollars. That's three years later. It's just unbelievable. But he calls me, doesn't know, I don't know him from Adam. And he, he, he actually, he sent me a note on LinkedIn at about 1115 at night. And he said, I've been following you on LinkedIn. I've been listening to your webinars. I wish every CPA thought like you guys, because we were just like, matter of fact, Jack, we're putting ourselves out there and risking, but we were not going to settle for the sanitized talking points coming down from the gobbledygook government that made no sense. Yeah. So um, we just said, yeah, we're, we're going to put ourselves at, at risk, but we're going to do what we know to do is just be speak English because we're in the same stinking boat that everybody else is. Yeah. So at that moment, I went back to our, the rest of the members of our leadership team. And I said, Hey guys, I know we've always said we, cause we have a very high touch service an hour outside of Charlotte or any of our other two offices in Myrtle beach or in Hendersonville, North Carolina, we aren't taking any clients outside of those areas. And I said, this guy's in Florida. I've recorded it and I, with his permission, he seems like a good guy. And we're really picky kind of about who we bring on to because we don't lose our people because we're pretty cure, you know, careful about curating who our clientele are. Yeah. And so I said, what do you think? And they said, if he's open to us not coming down to Florida. And I said, yeah. So sure enough. Well, then that and then Los Angeles, we, we've taken on some clients from Los Angeles. We actually had one from. Hawaii that was interested and I'm like six hour time difference. No, it's, it, we, it won't be good. Yeah, so yeah. We, we said no on that, but that was a, that was a pivot for us. And we just blew up exponentially because of that even. 
and just really trying to serve our people. That that's yeah. really it was not a marketing thing. It wasn't a it was a happy Gilmore accident, quite frankly. Yeah. So that's a great example of of sort of a pivot where you have a, a really strong forcing function, right? It's yeah. COVID, right? And it's yeah. like you got and it's clear you got to do something, otherwise you're gone. Yeah. And so that's sort of one category. The other category is the slow creeping thing that's coming along. Yes. Yes. Right. And and so there, there's no forcing function. It's like, yeah, sales are down five percent over last year, but you know we're still doing okay, and everyone's entrenched and very happy doing what they're doing. And yeah. whenever you make a change, it's more work for somebody, right? Yeah. Whether it's new technology or it's yeah. new customers or it's new anything, yeah. it, it's more work than the status quo, at, at least initially. Yeah. So th so there's a lot of resistance. So you know, how do you approach something like that? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I think complacency is a really dangerous thing because it's really easy to get comfortable. I don't want to rock the boat. Yeah, it looks like storms on the horizon, but it'll probably blow away. You know, those kind of things, right? right? And again, we've seen I'm this before. Think, yeah, right, I've yeah. seen it so many times; it's not even funny. But I still go back to it. It's it. It's a lot of weight and responsibility that's on the shoulder of that entrepreneur or the founder or the CEO. Management sets the tone. And what I've seen is if the, the coaching clients that we've accepted and, and coached and really had a ton of fun with have this curiosity. They have this insatiable curiosity. And a lot of times, they suffer from shiny object syndrome. So that's the place where you got to kind of throttle them back a little bit yeah, because yeah. they wear out their people. But when, and I've got a, a coaching client that I, that we saw that happen with this four years ago, he had turned down three and a half million for his company. He was really burned out, but he had never, like he barely finished high school and got fired from the Hardys literally. And, but he's very bright, very bright. And he, he loves inventing stuff. Well, he asked if I would coach him and his team. And I said, as long as you're considering selling, no. So a few months later, he goes, I, I just turned on another offer. I can't leave my, my team. Okay. So we got him together. We did two day offsite with him and his management team. And we started horse trading. One of the things that I do is I, I'll horse trade responsibilities with that team and getting people right people in the right seats and he had a lot of the right people in the right seats but not all of them were doing the stuff that they love to do they were doing stuff that they needed to do well that was a, a massive shift but then all of a sudden it allowed creativity for him to do what he loved to do which was invent stuff and as the team got stabilized and they they had concentration risk with one of their clients that were actually losing $35 on every invoice to this massive client of theirs, they didn't know it. So they got that stabilized and they did some price increases that were necessary, et cetera. Well, then the guy has the freedom. He went from literally hating to go into work every day and about five months later, he said, Gary, I'm so happy. And I said, you seem like you're doing really well. But he, his wife was dealing with some pretty serious medical conditions. And they had adopted a special needs child that was 
really having a lot of issues. So it wasn't like life was beautiful and perfect. But he said, I can't wait to go to work every day. Well, when that starts happening, he started, he was back in his happy place and he could start seeing trends. He couldn't see the trends before because he was just sucked into the vortex of the doom loop, it seemed like. Well, that company, they just sold for 17 million. <laughs> they, they tripled their top line and quadrupled their bottom line. And I, I think he's actually, you know, regretting selling it because he, um, yeah, they sold it at the top of the market, but, and he's not unhappy for, you know, the eight figures that he got from this thing. But um, he, he, I think he really, really misses his team. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But during that period of time, they pivoted and they did a number of things and they actually launched another kind of a, a a company that was tangential to them it was similar but way different as just another way to diversify and so i i just thought that was brilliant but if the if the ceo can't be free i think then everybody else kind of follows the leader yeah yeah excellent uh, excellent. Great way of saying it. So let me ask you another question. Earlier, you mentioned a little bit about customers and being careful about the customers that you pick. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so talk about that a little bit, right? Because oftentimes, particularly young companies are so eager for customers yeah. that that they will, I'll use the word, take anybody. Yeah, and, that's right. Yeah. And it's really difficult sometimes to fire a customer. So yeah. yeah, talk talk through it's, that a little bit. It's painful and it doesn't do anybody any good. Yeah, and I've I've seen this and learned it the hard way as well. Cause you know, my first company I was brought in to turn around when I was 28, and it was kind of the same thing, like holy moly, you know, uh, we just needed to keep the lights on. <clears throat> but what I found over time is, and I use it, I use the venturi tube as an analogy. So a venturi tube narrows in the center and then it widens at the at both openings well what happens is things accelerate through that venturi tube where it gets narrow and i found it over and over and over and over again that you accelerate when you narrow your focus and so we have a very tight focus on who we will take and who we won't and we we don't work with privately held company individuals and now I, I say that we we acquired through some early acquisitions a long time ago, and we we aren't growing by acquisitions <coughs> anymore. But um, we we have some CEOs of very large publicly traded companies that we do work with, but our we aren't taking any new clients like that. It doesn't matter how much money they have or how much money they'll throw at us. We focus on privately held businesses and their owners. That's it. Why? Well, because we love helping companies grow. And so we have, I put together a, a thing that I call the red lights. I mean, yeah, uh, red flags, green lights uh, criteria. So we're looking, I, me and I, I'm primarily the main guy for a lot of the business development procurement. A few of us that are partners also do that, but we are very emphatic about when we have that initial conversation, we're looking for red flags. So if, if somebody 
has is super price sensitive, we're not the right group because we're one of the more expensive groups. Um, if they have been switching CPAs frequently, that usually says it's not the CPA firm. <laughs> it's yeah. me, Will Robinson. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if they are publicly traded, nope. Um, if they have, if they are in industries that are, um, let's just say less than desirable <clears throat> and have some ethical concerns. Yeah. Nope. I don't care how much money and, and let's face it. There are some industries out there that print money that are highly unethical and it doesn't matter how much you would pay us. We wouldn't take it. So those are kind of the red flags. The green, the green lights are a lot of times they'll say, I don't know what I'm doing. And I've heard that from people running hundred million dollar companies, you know, yeah. oh, Gary, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. Oh yes, you do. <laughs> and certain things, but they don't know our expertise and that's why they need people and wise counsel around them. So we're looking for those kind of things and that we're looking for high growth. If somebody's just like mailing it in and they're happy, that's great for them, but we can't help them that much. Yeah. So we, we look for the red flags, green lights, and that helps so much. And we, we encourage our clients to do the same. And it's terrifying because you're like, oh no, I'm limiting my, my pool. Believe me, the more specialized you are, the, the more memorable you are. Yeah, yeah. I can remember years and years ago, very early on in my career, uh, I, I met, uh, socially I met an attorney and we got to be great friends. This is, I lived in Hartford, Connecticut at this time. And, and I, we were talking about business. I was an entrepreneur, I was starting a business and he, he was a law, lawyer in a, in a firm that he was a partner in, but it wasn't, you know, he wasn't the founding partner or anything. Sure. And, and I remember him saying to me, he goes, my goal is to be the highest priced attorney in Hartford. Oh, interesting. Right? Cause he, then he yeah. knows he, he, he wants that, that value. Yeah. Right. He wants right. to bring that value. So it's not right. about price. Right. So, right. so the it, conversation it is, is right. The conversation is not about price. The conversation is about what value you can bring. And so how do you guys kind of have that conversation in, in your business, right? With customers, right? Cause yeah. I'm sure sometimes there's sticker shock. They go, Oh my gosh. And, and you know, how do you, how do you deal with that? I have that conversation right up front and I'll just say, you know, tell me about your business. Tell me about you. What are you looking for? What are you frustrated with? And they always come because there's pain always. Yes. And the pain is always like 98% of the time. I can't get my CPA to return my calls. Like they've been silent and I want proactivity, but if they would just freaking return my calls, the bar yes. is so low in our industry. It's that's why I like it. I'm not a CPA again. I'm not a CFO. <laughs> so I just find it fascinating. I'm like, oh, wow, there's this is happy hunting ground. So I, I'm listening for that that pain. But then I'll say, all right, what do you know about us? And they'll they'll say, oh, I've been to your website or whatever. You look really different. Yeah, like our website is way different. You're not seeing mahogany and brass and we are anything but stuffy now. We're fun, but we work we work hard and we love, love partnering with our, our, our clientele. But I'll say, listen, 
if price is what is your driver, I can yeah. tell you right now, we are not that group. And yeah, there are bigger firms and sometimes we're more expensive than those bigger firms, but I like we do all inclusive pricing. So we, we do a deep dive on what, where you've been last two years of your uh, tax returns, financial re reports. We look at all of those um, things and we'll do a couple weeks of deep dive on that. We'll come back with insights and then we scope the work and we charge for, we have quarterly meetings. They are mandate, they're mandated. You know, we, you can call us at any time you want. Uh, now, if you abuse it, there will be a, a, a price for that, but mo most people don't. Uh, yeah. But, but we, we build that into the price. We make sure that we have a financial review and plan for you. We are actually even do a sales review of what's going on because top line sales, like everybody needs more growth, but we'll, we'll do all kinds of analysis, but we are not going to do like what is it happen happens in the construction world, which is, you know, you bid the price, but then you make your money on change fees. We don't do that. And so I, I'll just say, you know, and they may go, well, oh gosh, well, you know, what do you think it's going to be? And I'll say, well, our standard pricing for these things is about this. And if they start gulping, I'm like, hey, you know what? I've got somebody, I've got a couple folks that I send work to. <laughs> and, and listen, even though I'm helping run part of our company, I my commission is is a hundred percent i'm a hundred percent commission that's how i'm paid that's what yeah. i agreed to early on so i but even so i've sent last year alone i sent double the amount of clients away to other firms than what we took in and i don't get paid a dime for those referrals i don't want a dime for those referrals yeah. happy to take care of somebody and make sure that they're in good hands and you know it's kind of like paying it forward people are grateful <clears> for that but then, it, you know, then I've had people like, well, but I really, you know, would, would you take us, would you take us on? I'm like, yes. well, let's see. Based on what I'm hearing, sounds like it's good. And I'm not, we're not trying to be hard to get or anything like that. That's just not who we are. But let's, let's see. And if we are the right fit, great. And if not, you will not, I will not abandon you and just say no room in the end. So, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Seems to work pretty well. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think this notion of customer selectivity is one that oftentimes uh, businesses ignore. Yeah. And I think it, it, it gets into that. That it, it's really fear. I think at the, at the, you know, and this kind of scarcity mentality, oh, gosh, you know. No, the thing is, is people will remember you, you treat people well, do what you just do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. And man, maybe just a little bit more and you're all of a sudden a rock star. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the bar is so low. <laughs> yeah, it's remarkable. But, so I, I, I'm a firm believer that the more you narrow, the better you are. You know, and we saw that at bizjournals.com. Our, our, um, cost per thousand on advertising and at that time yeah we were subscription based but bizjournals.com we were a free entity that supported and we had to work out 
um, you know, revenue sharing arrangements with the, the yes. publishers who really threatened by this thing. But our cost per thousand was way higher than the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. Well, why is that? Well, because we had paid subscriptions and our household incomes were higher than Wall Street Journal readers. We could we could justify doing that. We we knew our audience extremely well and we served them, I think, pretty well. So the the narrower you are and the more but you still have to be good yes know? yeah so so given what we've been talking about here in this notion of focus on the customer being selective with the customer you got to have the right kind of employees mm-hmm. so how, how do you kind of yeah. think about hiring and selecting employees well, this is going to sound funny, but my my number one criteria that I look for, and I, and I can tell it in, in 30 seconds with a candidate. My question internally is, did they come with batteries installed or not? What does that mean? You know, you can tell, do they have fire in the belly? Do they do they have some electricity? And that doesn't mean you have to be an extrovert and bouncing off the walls, but you can just tell if somebody's lit up and they have drive. Yeah. You can't train for that, but that's the number one thing that we look for. The other thing that's interesting in the way that we're doing it, we are we're trying to embody what Chick-fil-A has done where they mm. took a commoditized business and they trained and they delivered something very different. And even like turning certain things upside down. Oh, we're closed one of the weekend days, closed on Sunday. Well, nobody does that. <laughs> they do, and they're they're profitable. But how how they pick their people? I think that's really important. There's there's a consistency there. So we kind of that's what we aspire to be in our industry. We are not going to sell. We are going. We are not going to franchise it. They don't franchise it either. They are picky about who their operators are they take them through their training process and then they put them in a market and they it's basically theirs to run and they share the wealth but it's still corporate owned if you will well that's what we're trying to do too and what we found is from some of the early acquisitions that were before i came into the the firm they experienced the pain and the fallacy of acquisitions of, oh, look at all this duplicitous effort that we can get rid of, and it's just going to be great. Yeah, Culture is always overlooked, always, always, always overlooked. And that is always the biggest rub in in a deal. Culture of between the employees, but then also the clientele. You got some that run roughshod over your people and all that. So We've said, no, we're growing our own. And we found that when we go to places like App State, to uh, UNC Charlotte, to um, East Carolina, some of these, like, they're, they're not UNC, they're not Duke. But we found that we find a little bit more of a workman and down to earth, not that UNC people are, you know, hoity-toity or whatever, but the big four are always going to those big firms. And we're like, 
we're different. We're, um, I mean, we've got a NASCAR hood at the end of our, one of our halls because we yeah. have the NASCAR <laughs> clients, but it's just different. You know, we wear shorts and, and t-shirts, you know, most of the time in the summer. So it's just different. And what we found is because um, we hire them, we train them that way. That's exactly actually what Coke Industries in Wichita, Kansas, where I'm from, that's what they do. They go to Kansas State University and places like that, and they grow their own. They don't bring in outside experts from, you know, yeah. that have track records. They want to train them in their ways. And it's funny, we've got a guy that has been with us now six years. And I said, Keith, you've been with us twice as long. This was three years ago. You've been with us twice as long as your peer group. Average turnover was about 18 months coming into a firm like ours. I said, what? You, you guys don't leave. Like, what's the deal? And he goes, oh, it's easy. He said, first of all, we're treated like adults. We're given flexibility. We're given responsibility. And he goes, some of us are actually running parts of the company because we run on EOS. We have an outside uh, coach implementer that I it, it was a former partner of mine and he's one of the top in the country in that discipline. And, and he goes, you know, where else are we going to get that? We have a clear career path. And I thought, wow, that's pretty profound, you know, and, and we don't have it all together. We're still, we're, we're still figuring it out, but we don't lose our people, which is really cool. Yeah. 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 Excellent. So uh, I want to start wrapping this up here a little bit. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have? Man, this is your podcast. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I like your format. I like what you're doing. I've listened to some of your episodes and I think, it, you know, the conversations are always interesting. So I'm just honored to be part of what you and Mike are doing. I think it's really cool. And I think everybody has a unique story. And everybody's story is worth telling. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for saying that. I really, I really appreciate that. So if people want to connect with you, find out more about what you do, uh, maybe engage with you somehow, uh, how's the best yeah. way for them to find you? LinkedIn is probably the best way. And it's Gary Fry, F-R-E-Y, funky glasses, and it, that'll be the guy. Um, and then we've got a podcast as well called the Anything But Typical Podcast featuring the behind the scenes stories of entrepreneurs that have the humility that are willing to share that, not just the podium finishes. Right. I love that too. Um, I really do. Th those are really fun. It's not because it's about us. It's not about us. It's about their stories and helping people realize if you're in that boat of running a company, you're not alone because it's, it can feel like the loneliest role in the, in the company. And a lot of people don't in the company, think, oh, it must suck to be you. And sometimes it actually does yeah. <laughs> because it's lonely sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very well said. Hey, Gary, you've been a wonderful guest. I really appreciated uh, you taking the time out of your busy day to spend uh, some time on our podcast. Uh, I wish you the best going forward. And I hope our paths cross again at some time in the future. Bela, thank you so much. It's been an honor. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Bela, agreed. That was an interesting interview. Oh, 
what a diverse, interesting person with lots of cool opinions. What were your major takeaways? So I think one of the things that struck me was this notion of focusing on the customer experience and, and this sort of notion of looking at what the customer sees and does and feels and how they interact with your product or service and, and, and having an understanding of that. I think that's, that's sort of a key thing that we need to think about. Another one, I think part of the conversation was this notion about change and how change is often difficult for organizations uh, to undertake, particularly if there's no forcing function, right? And we talked a little bit about COVID, right? COVID was this great forcing function where all of a sudden uh, work, seeing people on a Zoom call or a Skype call was acceptable and working from home was acceptable where, you know, a month prior, <laughs> you couldn't work from home. And somehow we figured it out. And, and businesses figured out because we had this forcing function. Um, and and but the challenge is though, to have change when there is no forcing function. How, how do you do that? And I always, I've always been sort of fascinated by, by how different organizations approach that. You know, some do it by edict, <laughs> some do it by sort of uh, a, a ground up uh, sort of uh, uh, process. Uh, so I really just think that's that's sort of interesting. And this notion of, you know, oftentimes organizations, if they're doing well and they're successful, uh, they they sort of get complacent. They, you know, we've been doing it this way for the last 10 years and it's fine. And, you know, the next thing they know, they're going out of business. So now there's a forcing function, but it's too late. And 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 they suffer those consequences. So anyway, that, that's what I thought. What did you think, Mike? Yeah, Bela, I couldn't agree with you more. And I mean, this has been kind of a mainstay of my teaching for 25 years is this idea that disruption happens when managers kind of get too full of self and they have these kind of blinders on. And when somebody has a different idea how to run the business, they're like, oh, our customers don't want that, right? They want it the way, the, the way that we've always given it to them. We're very successful. And this is really, um, when you hear a top manager saying something like that, um, that to me is always a real warning sign, flashing red lights that disruption is ahead. And, you know, think about when it's, whether it's coffee, right? Like, you know, people used to buy their coffee in a can in the grocery store, right? Maxwell house and Sanka and tasters choice. Right. And then really in a very short amount of time, Starbucks took over the industry. Why weren't there coffee shops that were Maxwell house brand? Right. They should have come up with this. And when Starbucks, say, oh, nobody's going to pay five dollars for a cup of coffee. Right. Guess what? They did because they wanted somebody to make the coffee better coffee and serve it in a cool place that was neither home nor office. Right. And they they really, you know, the rest of the story is history. Amazon. Right. Who's going to order books online when you can go to a bookstore? Right. I mean, Barnes and Noble should have owned the online book space. Right. They had the whole infrastructure set up yeah. if they wanted to, yep. right? Just these blinders. So, you know, this is the thing. So what, what Gary was talking about really resonated. And what you said about, I think, COVID was spot on being a forcing function. Here's what I hope, right? I don't know where we're at with COVID and what's going to happen. But I hope that, you know, we can put it in the past at some point, right? If not already, but soon. But I hope that when history looks back and evaluates the COVID era, that, you know, people see... Of course, first, the incredibly high human cost of early deaths, 
hospitalizations, people suffering with long COVID and debilitating symptoms for long periods of time, psychological trauma, the trauma it took on our healthcare system. I mean, right, your kids, your yep. daughter, son and daughter-in-law worked in a, work in an ER and they've seen it firsthand. And even my local doctor, you know what I mean, right? The, it's really transformed their world um, in not so good ways. And even people who work at grocery stores and things like this, right? Really had all these negative things, but it also had some amazing positive impacts right? That I hope don't get overlooked because they're lessons, right? It was a golden era of creativity, right? There was massive change and so changes in so many small and large companies that pivoted faster than in any time in, than in recent human history. They transformed themselves. They pulled together these massive changes with not a lot of resources and lots of pressure and they reformed themselves right on the fly yep. and got people yep. to buy in. Um, they developed new products and services like that, right, on a shoestring budget. Um, it was really remarkable to watch, to see all the devastation, and that's incredibly sad. But at the same time, to see all this transformation was remarkable yeah. in the restaurant industry and the delivery space and, you know, healthcare and everything. Um, and I hope that we can take out, especially as teachers, right, to take out some of these lessons, to do exactly what you said, is to use these lessons so that when things hopefully get back to quote unquote normal or a steady state or an equilibrium, we learn from this and don't lose that ability that this generation had once in a lifetime, right? To learn yeah. how to pivot. I think I think our, our parents had it post-World War II or our grandparents, right? Post-World War II, right? Yeah. These were these exactly. transformational moments, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's you know, what I hope. Yeah, another thing as you were talking there that, that got me thinking about, oftentimes companies do customer surveys. What do our customers want? And, you know, I've sat on a lot of boards in, in, in my career, both in, in the private equity business, venture business, and, and other times. And one of the things I always say is do a survey of people who are not your customers. What do they want? Because that's where the insight's going to come from. You're, you're not going to get a lot of insight from people who are your customers because they're already using your product. It's the people who are not your customers. What are they looking for? And those are the folks that you don't don't leave them out of your survey. I'm not saying it's an either or situation. You need to do them both. You need to ask your customers how you can improve your products and services. But you also need to ask people who are not your customers. What what does your product not have <laughs> that if it had it, <laughs> they might be your customer. Yeah. And that's hard work. I mean, it's hard enough to it get is. your existing customers yeah. to talk to you. It's even harder sometimes to go find your non-customers and get them to talk to you. But right. critical information there. Yeah, but you know, in in a lot of businesses, particularly where 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 you're selling high ticket items, you know, you're doing proposals, you're doing you're you're doing presentations, and you know, you're competing with three other companies for something, and then you got to go in and sort of say, hey, listen, let me buy you dinner, but let's go talk about what why why we didn't get your business, mm -hmm. and you can't do that with everybody, but if if you can do it with ten or fifteen percent of the 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 people who are not your customers, that's great data, man. That's right. Either you're, you're chasing the wrong customers, right? right? Or you're not offering the right type of product or mix of right. services. It's it's almost always or, or you or you can't meet. And if you can't meet the price, right, and make margins, then your processes are off. So it's one <laughs> of three right. things, right? Wrong That's customers, right. wrong product or service, or your margins are messed up. And, and all three that, of those data points are valuable. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But you got to yeah. know which one. Those three all require different fixes, right? So yes. you have to know which one it is before you can you can close the gap, right? Yeah. yeah exactly. I also I also liked how 
Gary has taken his kind of core skill and what you mentioned in the beginning of the outro, right? That customer experience, right? And figuring out change and motivating people. I thought those were fantastic. He took this core skill and knowledge set and he transferred it across different industries. He was really kind of this chameleon has a negative impact but or a negative connotation. But I love how the fact that he took his core beliefs and then move them in different spaces. And he's a C, he works at a CPA firm and he's right. not an accountant. I, I love right. that, right? right. Um, how important right. is this ability to, to kind of take these, you know, the pay it forward thing and the narrow focus thing and the staffing ideas about drive and energy, these are all great. How important is it to have a set of core beliefs that you can then apply in different settings to allow you that career flexibility given kind of today's economic environment, right? When you grew up, you know, in the early days, you worked for one company, you were a GE person or an IBM person or a Ford Motor Company person, right? And now it's all over the place. Is this, does Gary have something special here or is it just something that's kind of a, an, a, an interesting thing to, to see? I, well, I what I do know is that that skill of being able to transform working in industry A and then take the skills that you learn there and apply them in industry B is is very is much more important, like you said today, than it was 40 years ago. And I think it'll continue to be more and more important. I right, my father-in-law worked for the same company, graduated from college, went to work for a company, and he stayed there his whole career. Right. And and like you said, that's sort of how things were. And today we know what the average tenure at a company is like five or seven years or something. It's pretty darn mm -hmm. short. Mm -hmm. And at least here in the United States. So, so you got to be able to take that. Uh, but I think there's two pieces to this. There's for you, the individual employee being, being able to, let me, how, how do I, how do I say this? Being willing to take that risk of trying a different environment for you to work in. And I think each time you do that, you you learn something. And, and one of the things you'll learn is what type of environments you like. And I know as I evolved in my career, you know, I was I got much better at sort of picking and choosing which type of culture my skill set and the things that I like and the things that work for me and give me satisfaction I mesh with and which ones I don't mesh with. So, it, it, but, but that took a lot of bouncing around and being exposed to various different types of cultures, corporate cultures and corporate environments. Cause you really but, were, a, you really were a chameleon too, Bailey, yeah. in a lot of ways. You have this core set of, of beliefs that I really admire and appreciate about you, right? Your attention to detail, your focus on principles, your ethics, right? All of these, your ability to tell a good story, right? You have all of these great things, right? And you had, what, six careers, I think, if we could. Yeah, at least, yeah. Right? At least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I also think that this is important for companies and organizations to recognize this, because I think people like Gary is what give that CPA firm diversity. We always think about diversity around certain metrics, right? Race, sex uh, are the two key ones that we talk about a lot, right? But diversity is much broader than that. And I think bringing in people from other organizations, from other sort of backgrounds and experiences and other cultures is really, really important, particularly in today's world, which is a global world, right? Where almost every business maybe not regional CPA firms, but almost every business sells and markets itself globally these days. So this notion of that diversity, I think is really, really important. And even in a regional CPA firm, right? 
if you're in if you're in Ohio, you know that you know the culture in one part of Ohio is different than the culture in another part of Ohio, and your ability to sort of engage with those various different cultures and societal things that happen in in and diversity that is out there in the world, because many many companies are very homogeneous across certain metrics, mm-hmm. and and they hire the world, they hire and reward that way. It's yes, on purpose, exactly. right? It's, exactly. They don't say it. They don't. They, it's not explicit, but implicitly, it happens because they hire and reward um, people that look like the top management team, and the whole organization right. winds up looking that way. That's right. And but the world doesn't. <laughs> right? The world does not. And I think this goes back a little bit to customers that we were talking about earlier too. Right? Look at your customers. Are they real homogeneous <laughs> right. across certain metrics? Right? That's going to tell you something. So I, I just think people like Gary and that skill set and being able to move that skill set from organization to organization is really important these days. It's going to continue to be important. And actually, it's going to increase in importance as time goes on. And it's important both for employees and for employers. I love it, Bela. You know, so hats off and kudos to the partners of that CPA firm for taking a risk and bringing in somebody like this. And maybe a little lessons learned for this is if you work for some sort of services firm or whatever it is, it might make sense for you to go out and find somebody with a different mindset and a different experience set to help part of your organization. That risk might be worth it, right? To bring in some new fresh ideas and approaches that can help grow your business or improve your business um, right. I, I, I think that's kind of a neat kind of small takeaway from from this. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting that uh, as you're saying that it got me thinking about like uh, CPA firms, law firms, uh, oftentimes medical practices, uh, private equity funds. They very, very rarely, if ever, have outside board of directors. It's the partners in that business, because most of them are some form of partnership. Those are the ones that manage and run and govern, not just manage and run, but govern the business. And I remember having a conversation with, a, a, I have a real good friend who's an attorney at, at one of the big firms here. And he and I had, he was saying like, he goes, because he was very entrepreneurial. He, he His beat was the entrepreneurial companies and sort of the startup. That's where, I, that's where I met him. And he was like, he always kept saying like, we don't have a board of directors in the law firm. <laughs> Why is that? And you should. It, and we should, because we have no outside, you know, the board of directors is fundamentally the partners who've been here for 30 years. Right. And I know we're missing business opportunities. I know we're missing things, you know, culturally, we're, 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 we're missing all sorts of stuff because we don't have diversity in sort of the way we think and approach things. So anyway, that's, yeah, that's an Love interesting it. thought too. Yeah. All right. I think we should wrap this up, Bela. What do you think? Sounds good. All right, listeners, thanks once again for joining us today. We hope you found this episode as interesting and thought-provoking as we did. And as always, if you have questions about what we discussed or suggestions about guests we should have on the show, feel free to get in touch with us. Our email is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. Hey, and please do hit that follow or subscribe button on your favorite podcasting application. And I'll let you know that these podcasts are now available on YouTube. So you can actually see uh, Mike's and my talking head on the YouTube if you'd rather listen to them on YouTube. Just search for The Unconventional Path and you'll find it. So until- But but wait, Bela, if people don't want to do that, it's okay if they stick with the audio only. Our faces are made for radio, (laughs) as they've said. 
That's but right. I like the effort, and who knows? It might be more entertaining. I have no well, idea. For, my mom is happy. I know that. You know, yeah. she can see that I'm eating well. You know. Well, it gives it it, it opens up another access channel for people who yep, who sure. want to uh, listen to this. If that works better for them, yeah. I'm certainly not promoting it from the perspective of they can see our smiling faces. We're not. We're not beautiful people. You know, <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> no, we're not. So hey, uh, so until next time. Signing off from upstate New York. See you soon, Mike. Thanks, Bela. Talk with you and everybody else soon.